Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Rush Truck Centers would like to help you jumpstart your annual vehicle maintenance schedule. Simply call your local Rush Truck Centers or go online to schedule an appointment. They offer same-day preventive maintenance and repair services, as well as customizable contract maintenance plans to fit your needs. And if your truck breaks down, you can ask their Rush Care customer support team to dispatch a mobile service unit when and where you need it. What are you and your truck waiting for? Visit RushTruckCenters.com to find your nearest location. You can expect more from Rush Truck Centers. This is America's Trucking Network with Kevin Gordon. Welcome aboard. Thanks for tuning in as we roll into this first day of spring. Of course, spring hit yesterday at uh, 524 p.m. Now, with uh, what's going on in the marketplace and what's going on as far as the oil sector and bank failures and so on, I thought I'd reach out to our friend Phil Flynn, senior account executive and author of the Energy Port Report, and he's with Price Futures Group, to try to give some sense to this, kind of see what's going on in the marketplace and see what we can expect going forward. So, welcome to the program, Phil. Certainly appreciate you spending time with us this morning. I'm glad to be here. I wouldn't be any other place because I'm afraid to go out of my house right now with all the turmoil in the world. So I figured to stay in the basement, I'm going to be safe. Yeah. yeah but, well, you know, got to <laughs> stack, start stacking your gold bars up in the corner there because <laughs> you don't want to leave anything yeah. in the bank, I guess. How about that? Well, I mean, that's what the market thinks, right? I mean, what we're seeing is a fear-based trade, and we're seeing people, you know, take their money out of the bank and buy gold bars. We saw gold uh, hit $2,000 an ounce. Um, you know, we saw things like Bitcoin and crazy stuff like that take off. And the funny thing about this, Kevin, is this is really about fear more than reality, but sometimes fear is a greater motivator than reality. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, we just you know had the three-year anniversary of COVID. We saw how that all transpired as a result of fear, what that did as far as lockdowns and as far as the economy and that sort of stuff, all built on fear, and we're seeing some of the ramifications of that. Um, whereas, you know, in the past when there's been meltdowns, I mean, you go back to the, what is it, the dot-com bust of 96 and then the housing market crash in 2008. You know, there were kind of fundamental reasons behind that. You kind of, I guess, kind of saw it coming with the economy and that type of thing. Whereas this, did we see the fort? Did we see this on the horizon? Did people miss this or did this come out of nowhere? Well, you know, I think that there were warnings. They were just ignored, right? When it came to inflation, uh, the Federal Reserve C 
seemed to miss it, right? They kept telling us inflation's transitory, nothing to see here, it'll level out. I think the Biden administration missed it as well. They were like, hey, we're not worried about inflation. We just want to spend money. You know, we want to push through another COVID uh, bill just to say we did it. When you look at it, it really wasn't the most efficient way to help the economy, and in hindsight, probably damaged it. You know, it, it created a worker shortage. It created dislocations in the economy. So sometimes just throwing money at a problem doesn't solve it. In fact, sometimes throwing money at a problem makes it worse, and I think we're seeing the ramifications of that um, in this crisis that we're going through today. Well, not only was it the throwing the money at the problem, which... I guess initially, if I'm not mistaken, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the initial stimulus stuff was as a result of the lockdowns. But when you had this continuing uh, going on with the different states where, it, it, is it, am I correct, is there still 17 states or something like that that are still subsidizing people for staying home from work with unemployment benefits and borrowing from the federal government? I believe that's correct. I, I really do. And, and listen, you know, everybody realizes when the government forced you to shut down your business and, and you know, tell people to stay home, uh, that they needed to compensate you for that, right? Because that was their call. You know, now in hindsight, of course, it's, it's stretching it out over the period of time that, that helped these inflationary um, the pressures and, and one of the things that you know if you go back to economic 101 you make it makes you wonder if the smart people at the federal reserve and the smart people in washington really ever read an economic book because this is what we've seen in the past that has caused inflationary cycles um and they were behind the curve then they overreacted um and and you put it all together and that's why we're in the mess we're in today yeah and of course you know you go back to 1972 when the fed started monkeying with uh trying to control the economy either raising or lowering interest rates they had never done that before, and since then, their track record hasn't been all that good. I mean, it's almost like every time they try to fight inflation, inflation goes up, and then it comes to a point where it creates a recession. There is no such thing as a soft landing with them. And I'm getting the, the sense now that even you know towards the end of last week with the, the bank failures and the uh, either mergers or whatever, that... They were trying to hold back. I was looking at some of the commodity things because, you know, a lot of people know that I am doing the uh, America's Trucking Network. And one of the big components of that is oil and gas prices and keeping track of those and letting people know what's going on there. And talking about what the Fed was talking about at their meeting at the end of this week, they were there was talk that they were possibly going to put the brakes on or give them second thoughts about raising interest rates. But it almost appears now the talking is that they're just going to completely ignore this all and continue to go on with the uh, uh, at least uh, 50 basis points or even higher. Yeah, this is a big debate right now. And you see, the Federal Reserve has a credibility problem, right? And before the Silicon Bank started to unravel, we had the Federal Reserve chairman, you know, testifying in, fo in, in front of uh, the 
Congress in Washington, the House one day, the Senate the other day. And basically, he was talking tough that, you know, inflation is our number one priority. We have to keep raising rates. But it makes you wonder if he's out of touch with some of the banking problems that he's caused. And, you know, it's sort of like if you're, you're, you know, the money policy was like you're going, you know, 100 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden you slam on the brakes. Anybody who's been through something like that knows that there's going to be a shock to the system. And I think that's what we saw. You know, they tried to make up for their past inaction by trying to aggressively raise rates and try to make up for their sins of the past. The problem is, is that they overdid it, and I think that is why we're seeing all this nervousness in the market. It really started because the Fed started to raise rates real quickly. And it wasn't just raising rates, it was their micromanaging of the rate increases. You know, every time the market started to look like it was looking optimistic, like they'd get through the rate cuts, you know, they had to remind everybody they were raising rates. And I think that did more damage than good. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 it's important to let people know, too, that, you know, just exactly who the heck is the Fed? And, you know, people, I think, assume that they're part of the federal government and they're a completely in total uh, different entity altogether. They really are. They're, they're separate and they're supposed to be independent from politics. Um, but, you know, like so much of our country, you know, things don't get separated from politics. Right. And sometimes I feel like some of the decisions they make are, are basically politically motivated as opposed to what's best for the economy. And mm -hmm. I think the Federal Reserve keeping rates low, you know, was trying to help out the, uh, you know, the politicians as opposed to, hey, we've got a problem, we've got to start raising rates. Um, and and uh, that's something most politicians don't want to hear. They like easy money because easy money uh, makes them very popular usually. Absolutely. Uh, we need to step out and take a quick break. We were talking about uh, when you're you know, traveling down the highway at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> I've never been in the car with you, but hey, <laughs> I, hey I like the way you drive. Around here that we could go. Yeah, Wisconsin, there's some back roads I can show you. Yeah, okay. Okay. But anyway, you know, when you slam on the brakes there, anybody knows that if uh, you slam on the brakes, anything that's not nailed down is going to come flying forward. And, uh, you know, especially if you don't have your, uh, your load secured, it's going to uh, come crashing through the windshield or in the back of your head, which is apparently what we're having here in the economy right now. So <laughs> when we get back, you can hang with us through the break, can't you? Um, I sure can. Uh, yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. When, you, when we come back, I want to talk about, I guess, the latest thing in the, um, uh, UBS is purchasing Credit Suisse. Um, for 3.2 billion. And do you see any other banks that are possibly teetering? First Republic comes to mind and some of this other stuff. So we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Phil Flynn, Price Futures Group, senior financial analyst and author of the Energy Report. I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. This is the Racing Report on America's Trucking Network on 700 WLW. Quaker State has solidified itself as a major player for the years to come in NASCAR Cup Series by extending one of the longest-running Cup Series race entitlements with the Quaker State 400, the summer race in Atlanta, and forming a technical alliance with Trackhouse Racing. This year will be the 13th straight. The Quaker State 400, which began in 2011 at Kentucky Speedway, has moved to Atlanta in 2021. Daniel Suarez 
will run the number 99 Quaker State Chevrolet Camaro in future races. Former Formula One world champion Jensen Button is just the latest big name headed to the NASCAR Cup Series. Button will be behind the wheel this Sunday at Circuit of the Americas for the Rick Ware team. What compelled him to race in NASCAR? For a very long time, I've, I've watched NASCAR, uh, a couple of decades. And I have to say, growing up in the UK, uh, we had four channels on TV back then, back in the late 80s. Um, and uh, we didn't get any real sport outside of European sport. Um, so you're going to like this. So it was actually Days of Thunder that, first of all, brought me to NASCAR. <laughs> because it's the first time I got to see any NASCAR. Um, I mean, it was a movie. So you know, as an eight-year-old, I thought it was insane. Um, I thought it was amazing. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Worlds away from, from European motorsport. This is the Racing Report on America's Trucking Network on 700 WLW. Take Dennis and ATN. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport. This is America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. I'm Kevin Gordon. Continuing our conversation with Phil Flynn, he is a senior analyst with Price Futures Group, senior market analyst and author of the Energy Report. He's also a contributor on Fox Business Network. And this Energy Report, I'm going to tell you, it is. I look forward to reading it every morning and give me some insights in what's going on in the energy market. Phil, thanks for hanging with us. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, and, and like I say, if you want to buy a bank, I think I can get you one. So. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what, two bucks a share or something along those lines? Um, kind of like a couple of bridges I'd like to sell some of these people in Washington. <laughs> it <laughs> now, is. It is. You so, know, and, and, and that's, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So are we looking at transitory bank failures here? <laughs> or, it looks <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, well, we had transitory I mean, inflation that we, you know, that, that, that had yeah. been taken care of. So why not transitory bank failures? <laughs> you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, you know, I know you keep all your, your money in a Swiss bank account, Kevin. So, you know, I know this is probably disruptive to you. But I when mean, was the last time a Swiss system? bank failed for crying out loud? I think it was in 2008 during the financial crisis. They really? had a little bit okay. of an issue. But, I mean, when you're talking about... UBS and you're talking about, um, you know, Credit Suisse. I mean, when you're talking about Credit Suisse, I mean, that is one of the banks that has the Swiss government's name on it. I mean, it's been in business for centuries. And, and the way that this unraveled over the, the last couple of weeks is almost amazing. And, you know, if you step back and you look at where the bank was valued and where UBS bought it, um, they bought it for pennies on the dollar. And, you know, the hope was that that would give confidence back to the system. You know, the Swiss government's backing, you know, some of the potential losses that they have on the books. Um, but, you know, just the swift action of this bank bailout, 
Uh, they don't want to call it a bailout, you know, is shaking the confidence of who's next. And the other big issue is if you had, you know, um, credits with, you know, tier one bonds, um, they're, they're worth nothing right now. And the shareholders still have some value. But if you bought some of these tier one bonds, they've gone to zero. And so that you know, is something that normally banks have as a cushion against shocks. People buy these bonds, but to, for them to go zero, it makes people that have these these tier one bonds at other banks start to question whether their money's safe. So it's really going to take a little time to see if 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 we can you know quell the fear or if people start pulling the, or start selling these bonds. Which, if everybody starts to dump them at the same time, then prices could plummet. Well, and we don't see any, there is no FDIC over in uh, Switzerland either. So, and of course, if you've got bonds anyway, they're not covered. So uh, that is a debt that can be wiped away in terms of uh, a bank crash or um, a, a, um, a bankruptcy. So, yeah, bonds sometimes, uh, although they pay somewhat well at times, when they go under, they go under. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, normally you used to think that the bonds were, were taken care of ahead of the shareholders, but in this case it was kind of the opposite. And we saw that during the bailout of, of Detroit back through 2008. Um, you know, usually bonds are considered to be superior over, over stocks, but in crisis times it's, it seems to be the opposite and that is because of the systemic risk you know if the shareholders fail um, it could cause a run on other banks I you know is this the best answer I don't know I mean they have to do something because they've already broken the system right they've broken confidence and they have to take some steps to, to rebuild that confidence and that's why this Fed meeting is going to be very difficult because on one hand you know, the Federal Reserve is saying, you know, inflation is far from beat. We need to be aggressive. We need to go after this. But, you know, if you start raising rates, you could actually unleash more pressure on the banks, which could cause uh, more uh, banks needing some help from the federal government. Unbelievable. We're talking with uh, Phil Flynn. He is senior market analyst and author of the Energy Report, and also a contributor with Fox Business News. Now, we're seeing this kind of slop over a bit into the oil sector as well. I mean, oil prices have taken a huge hit over the last, I think as of, uh, what was it, last Thursday from the previous Friday, they were down, uh, Brent crude or West Texas Intermediate crude respectively were down 10% to 14% respectively. And now they're down even further since then. Yeah, it really is. And, and it's kind of funny because uh, Kevin, both you and I look at the supply and demand very carefully because it impacts gasoline prices, diesel prices. And the funny thing is, if you look at supply and demand, prices should be substantially higher than they are. But what you have to realize is that a lot of these international banks trade oil, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they, they own oil tankers, okay? They use that as an investment. They also fund 
you know, a lot of the producers for oil and gasoline. And what happened is, is that when we started having problems, you know, in the banking sector, they're saying we got to reduce our risk portfolio. And, and they're basically telling people, hey, if you own oil, get rid of it because we have to shore up the books. So things that would normally Well, of course, we got to bow to the um, ESG group, too, correct? <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you got that. I can get into. Oh, don't we got a? Do we have another hour to get into that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, abs, abs, absolutely. So yeah, I think um, the filter down effect. Now, oil could be the canary in the coal mine too, right? Is you know what the oil could be saying is that this banking crisis is going to cause a recession and a reduction in demand. Um, that may be the case, but right now, every indicator we've had up until this crisis began is that the demand was going to be very strong. So I think this week is going to be critical for the direction of oil and gas. Yeah, and, and what what is interesting is that, you know, in looking at the market and, and looking at, you know, except for inflation, I mean, when you look at, you know, wages are creeping up a little bit, when you look at um, um you know, freight movement, when you look at um, other parts of the economy, it's in job growth and that type of thing. It seems like the economy is trying to take care of itself as we go along, but it's the increase with the Fed, which then increases the borrowing, which cuts down on people actually going out and, and building or buying new cars or buying new trucks or anything else that it's adding to the price. So even though they're trying to cut inflation, they're actually raising inflation. And so what they're, it seems like they're trying to do is slow the economy down, whereas I think if the economy was left alone... Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We'd pull through this. You know, I think you're right, largely, because this is a thing. I mean, way back when the Federal Reserve, you know, missed the boat on inflation, right? They let it run too long. Inflation's transitory. And by the time they realized it wasn't transitory, they didn't raise rates right away, right? They still dragged their feet a little bit. Then it was like, oh, my gosh, it's too late. we got to make up for lost time. And we have to send a signal to the market that no matter what, we're going to raise rates and get this inflation. Okay, I get that. You know, and they t said that to the market. But what my problem is with the Federal Reserve is that once they said that, um, they tried to micromanage the market. So, yeah. for example, there were times where the, you know, the oil prices were going up and the stock market was going up and, and yields were coming back down and they would have to give a speech and say, oh, you, you guys in the market, you've got it wrong. We're raising rates. It's like we already know that. Let the market work it out. Yep. In fact, if they allowed the market, market to work it out, these banks might have been able to get out of these positions or work out of them in a more structured way as opposed to this panic selling. Um, and, and, and I think that's where we're at. Listen, I know this, the Fed used to be non-transparent. They would just, you know, we'd have to guess what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But now they're, they've become too transparent. 
And I think their micromanaging of the economy is, is making the situation worse than whereas they said, hey, we're raising rates, that's it. Hey, let the market be surprised at the next Fed meeting. They don't have to talk about it every week. Exactly. Phil, thank you so much. It was great insights into what's going on and kind of putting things in perspective for the listeners. I certainly appreciate your time. Uh, we'll be in touch because you. uh, your insights are always uh, incredible and certainly enjoy talking to you. Coming up, we've got oil and gas prices and today in transportation history. I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. News, traffic, and weather. News Radio 700 WLW, Cincinnati. Eyes are on the Big Apple for a possible Trump indictment later today. With the 1230 Report, I'm Sean McCormick. Breaking now, it's Tuesday. And the major question is whether or not former President Donald Trump will be indicted. Three key House GOP chairmen Monday calling for Manhattan District Attorney Alan Bragg's testimony. ABC's Jonathan Carl on yesterday's move by the representatives Jim Jordan, James Comer and Brian Steele. Congress has oversight over federal agencies, uh, over the federal government. Uh, Congress does not have oversight over, you know, a, a, a basically a local prosecutor. Now that said, I mean, it's not unprecedented to see, um, you know, all kinds of people testify before Congress, but this, this is a strange one. I've never heard of a chairman of, of a congressional committee say that they're going to, you know, demand the testimony of a local prosecutor. That, that's a new one on me. Now, the latest forecast from the Train Heating and Cooling Weather Center on News Radio 700 WLW. In the tri state weather, as we head to our daybreak for Tuesday, it's clear and seasonal, a morning low of 28. Now, our Tuesday, fair skies, but increasing clouds and a high of 55. At night, rain develops and a low of 42. From your severe weather station, I'm nine first warning, Chief Meteorologist Steve Raleigh, News Radio 700. WLW. The radar is clear. It's currently 34 degrees. News is a service of progressive insurance. Cincinnati Right to Life has brought a lawsuit up challenging the abortion amendment wanted in the Ohio Constitution by pro-choice advocates. Right to Life is asking the Ohio Supreme Court to order the state ballot board to split up the proposed amendment into separate issues such as abortion and contraception. If Right to Life wins, it could derail the pro-choice effort to gather the over 410,000 signatures it needs to collect in order to place that abortion amendment on the November ballot. Our next update is at 1 o'clock. I'm Sean McCormick, News Radio 700, WLW. In this week's market... Here's your trucking forecast for the tri-state and for the rest of the country. Tonight, mostly clear, low 28, partly sunny, a high of 57 on Tuesday. Chance of showers mainly after 10 on Tuesday night, low 42. Chance of rain on Wednesday, high 56. Rain possible Thursday, breezy 69 for the high. Thursday night, showers and possibly a thunderstorm, low 51. Friday, more showers, high 60. Rest of the country, most impactful weather system to affect the country through midweek is forecast to move across California and the southwest on Tuesday. Rapidly strengthening low pressure system to deepen off the west coast. Going to swing toward the central California coast and produce potentially damaging wind gusts. Heavy rain, heavy mountain snow could lead to maximum wind gusts near 75 miles per hour. 
across Southern California, gusts up to 50 miles per hour across Central California. Ripe environment for heavy rain from the Central Coastline to Southern California. Heavy rain likely to lead to rapid runoff. Areas of flooding across Southern California with isolated flooding instances possible for regions to the north. For the mountainous terrain of the Southern Central Sierra Nevada and Southern California, heavy snow will be the primary hazard as snowfall accumulations add up to as much as three to four feet in spots. This additional snowfall is going to lead to difficult travel could strain infrastructure in areas still buried under a record-breaking snowpack for the year to date. Impacts are also anticipated to spread farther inland during the second half of Tuesday across the southwest, central Great Basin, and south-central Rockies. Gusty southwesterly winds up to 60 miles an hour possible across the desert southwest with heavy rain, localized flash flooding possible across parts of central Arizona. Elevated terrain from central Nevada to western Colorado can expect heavy snow to last into Wednesday. Dangerous to difficult travel is likely with most mountain ranges experiencing over a foot of snowfall. Winter weather will also impact north central part of the U.S. through early Thursday. Between Tuesday and Wednesday morning, a low pressure system is forecast to swing from the northern plains to the upper Great Lakes with locally heavy snow possible just to the north from southeast North Dakota to northern Minnesota. Snowfall amounts up to 7 inches possible and when combined with areas of blowing snow, visibility could be reduced and create treacherous driving conditions. Next system to impact the central U.S. is expected to swing eastward late Wednesday and produce the potential for additional snowfall from South Dakota to southern Minnesota. Snowfall totals could add up to over 4 inches. Farther south and east, scattered showers and thunderstorms are anticipated to develop along a stationary front Wednesday night across portions of the Midwest. <laughs> Kevin Gordon, America's Struggling Network, 700 WLW. <laughs> he threw me off again. A little nod to the Xavier Musketeers, my alma mater, who are advanced, who advanced to the Sweet 16 tournament, NCAA tournament, after defeating uh, Pittsburgh 84 to 73 on Sunday. Uh, it was a very good game. I wasn't going to talk about it, but <laughs> Alex played that. <laughs> we were debating whether or not to talk about it, and I was I was saying, well, you know, it was a pretty good game and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, thanks, Alex. I appreciate that. But again, congratulations, Xavier Musketeers, heading on to the Sweet 16, and they're going to be out in Kansas City. And of course, they haven't determined what the uh, time for that game yet, uh, but uh, it'll be interesting. Um, looking forward to that. Anyway, let's uh, look at oil and gas prices here. West Texas Intermediate Crude currently is at $66.58. That is down 16 cents or uh, 0.24%. Brent crude is currently at $72.92 a barrel. That is down a nickel, which is uh, 0.07 cents. Now, what's going on? And of course, we were talking to Phil Flynn uh, in the previous segment, uh, previous two segments, I should say, and uh, a lot of great insights in terms of what's going on in the market. And by the way, be a good time to remind you that 
if you miss any part of the program, head over to that iHeartRadio app, find 700WLW, scroll through the various shows, find America's Trucker Network, all the interviews, all the stories right there at your fingertips. And, of course, bringing some sense to what's going on in the oil markets. Oil prices dropped to their lowest in 15 months uh, in the uh, on Monday, driven down by concerns at risk in the global banking sector and a potential increase to U.S. interest rates could spark a recession that would sap fuel demand. After the deal was announced, uh, of course, uh, they were talking about Credit Suisse uh, being sold to UBS. And, of course, the market route saw uh, Credit Suisse stock plummet by 60% on Monday in Europe after the announced takeover by UBS. After the deal was announced, the U.S. Federal Reserve, European Central Banks, and other major central banks pledged to enhance market liquidity and support other banks. The U.S. Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates by 25 basis points on March 22nd, despite the recent banking sector. Now, Phil and I talked about this, and I think anything more than a 25 basis points would just be completely out of line, completely stupid. Um, As a matter of fact, with the meltdown last week, and we mentioned this in the previous segment, when I was talking with Phil Flynn, that At the end of last week, with all the stuff going on in the market, people were saying, well, this will certainly uh, change the opinion of the Fed and might actually slow down and they would maybe not raise interest rates just to see how this thing shakes out. But again, depending upon, uh, you know, who, who, who prevails on the 22nd, I guess I should say, as to whether or not they're going to raise interest rates. But I'll tell you what, if they raise interest rates more than 25 basis points, that is really going to put the brakes on this economy and really create some serious problems. And I hope they're a little bit smarter than that. But as my wife keeps reminding me, you know, when you get right down to it, you know, we think, and you know, anyway, she says, and I, there I go interrupting myself. Um, the best and brightest aren't necessarily the best and brightest. And she reminds me of this all the time. And and it's so true. You know, we kind of have a tendency sometimes, I think, that we hear of somebody who's in charge of the Federal Reserve or, or somebody, the Treasury Secretary, and we think, oh, my gosh, they are just so smart. And so, you know, they just are so far above us and all this sort of stuff. But when you start reading some of the stuff and, and know what's going on in these markets, and hopefully listening to shows like this kind of brings you up to speed as far as what's going on and increase your knowledge base so that you can kind of have an understanding of what's going on, you realize that these people aren't as smart as they pretend to be. And in certain encounters that I've had with certain elected officials throughout time and talking to them about certain issues, it is very apparent. I mean, folks, they put their pants on the same way as we do. Uh, they, you know, they have to eat. They have to, you know, they have to sleep. They have to. And when you talk to some of these people, it's amazing how disengaged they are. It's almost like they kind of wait for their staff to get them. Now, there are some that are really good out there, but I, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, when you have somebody that is so wrapped up in a particular um, field of of knowledge, you get them outside of that, you find out how they're about as dumb as a, a box of rocks. Uh, and, of course, the whole idea of 
of common sense comes into play as well. Uh, gas prices, let's take a look at those uh, real quick here. Uh, national average for gas currently is at uh, $3.44. Uh, that is, uh, let's see, that is... Uh, up uh, about three pennies from a month ago uh compared to a year ago however we are down 82 cents a gallon last year at this time we were paying four dollars and 26 cents that's an 82 cent drop that's a 19 percent drop now again that takes into consideration that the previous year gas prices had gone up almost a dollar and then um after um Russia invaded Ukraine, gas prices shot up considerably, and then, um, so then over the rest of the year, prices started coming back down. So when we compare these numbers to last year, of course, they're going to be a, a little bit less. The numbers now are going to be a little bit less than last year. However, when you compare that to 2020, when, by the way, we were energy independent for the first time since 1949 under the Trump administration, we were paying $2.22 a gallon for gas. We are now paying $1.22 more per gallon for gas than what we were back then. That's a 55% increase. And I can't stress enough that when you look at energy prices and you look at the cost of energy, energy crosses all sectors. I don't care if you're a white-collar worker, blue-collar worker, you are affected by energy prices. Uh, the energy to heat your building, to heat the factory, cool the factory, whatever. It all boils down to that. And if those prices go up, of course, that's going to add inflation. So if you want to cut inflation, start off with the energy prices first and see how far and dramatically down that lowers the um, price of inflation or the percentage of inflation. Looking at diesel prices, currently uh, we're paying $4.29 per gallon. That is down about 20 cents from, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, about, yeah, about, uh, 20 cents from a month ago. However, when you compare that to a year ago, again, with gas prices or, and diesel prices being so high with, after the invasion of, uh, Ukraine, we were paying $5 and five cents a gallon back then. So it's a 76, uh, cent decrease or a 15%. But when you compare that to two years ago or three years ago, rather, when again, stressing again, energy independent for the first time since 1949 under the Trump administration, Diesel prices were at $2.66. We were paying $1.63 more per gallon than what we were paying just three short years ago. That's a 61% increase. So, again, they want to know where inflation goes and why inflation is out of control. Uh, start with energy prices. Uh, when we get back, I want to talk about a couple of stories. One being uh, world's top coal exporter can't necessarily afford to go green. And, uh, of course, we'll take up uh, today in transportation history. And uh, so, anyway, um, I, I just, you know, these energy prices, they just are infuriating. The fact that we're not energy independent anymore um, is just astounding. But anyway, I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. Yeah. America's Trade Network, 700 WLW. Yeah, you're right. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> you can tell by the end of that last segment. I am about as frustrated as you can get. I mean, when, I, when you know in front of you and you have the experts that are telling you what needs to be done in order to fix this economy and let 
the market forces play out because we are such a resilient economy because we are resilient people the one thing about american people is is that we are stubbornly independent and we will deal with just about anything we will figure out a way to succeed no matter what and having all this tinkering from the federal reserve from these other forces that we don't really have control over when if they would just step back and not do anything we would probably be much better off but anyway let's take a look at today in transportation history and which is a good segue here because when you have certain things that go on in history you learn those lessons from history and you don't repeat those mistakes going forward the old saying if you do not learn from history you're destined to repeat it well this administration apparently has no recall in terms of history at all because these things have played out before and there are ways of getting around it and the lessons of history should have um, sunk in and they should realize those uh, today in transportation history by the way i like going back in transportation history because i always get the chance to see some of the unsung heroes of people whose names i've never heard before but had a very important part in terms of transportation history see um, look at some of the people that have made tremendous sacrifices on behalf of uh, transportation history uh, sometimes an exploration a uh, loss of life etc well today's story is uh, uh one of those people that you uh, i'm Pretty sure you've never heard of. Um, on this date, March 21st, 1869, his automobile factory architecture set the standard for those who followed. Albert Kahn, who helped uh, create a number of key transportation-oriented facilities and is widely regarded as the, quote, the father of modern factory design, was born in a Ronan in the kingdom of Prussia, which is now Germany, when on this date, March 21st, 1869, when Kahn was 11, he and his family immigrated to the United States and settled in Detroit. Kahn worked in an architectural firm during his teenage years, and this experience launched him into what became a distinguished career. In 1895, Kahn established his own architectural firm. His approach to the construction of buildings entailed eschewing the, the traditional timber frame structures in favor of facilities made of reinforced concrete this preferred approach ensured greater fire protection for buildings and much more uh unobstructed space inside Kahn used that style of architecture in 1903 when he designed and built the packard motor car company's plant in detroit this innovative architecture and arch uh, achievement and architectural design caught the attention of henry ford Kahn subsequently decided uh, designed the ford motor company's famous highland park plant where ford focused on producing the model t and refining the automotive assembly line Kahn also designed the Ford River Rouge plant in Dearborn, Michigan. This massive plant, which measured 1.5 miles in width and one mile in length, was the world's largest manufacturing complex at the time of its completion in 1928. At one point, the facility housed a workforce of 120,000 people. Kahn also worked on numerous other projects for Henry Ford, including the design of showrooms for the Ford Motor Company in such cities as New York, uh, New York City, Boston, and Washington, D.C., and hundreds of requests from other automobilers. 
Khan was likewise involved in designing structures more strongly linked with other transportation modes. One of the structures was the world's first airport hotel, the Dearborn Inn. In addition to his firm, designed several U.S. airfields and naval bases during World War II. Khan died in Detroit in 1942 at the age of 73. And just a, you know, an amazing man and uh, see some of the accomplishments that he did throughout his lifetime is just absolutely incredible. Um, I mentioned this story before and, uh, you know, we had this whole, um, um, um climate, uh, conference, uh, what is it? CO2 or COP227 or whatever, the 27th annual meeting of these group. Yeah. COP almost sounds like a disease disease, doesn't it? COP27. But anyway, the climate summit. And they were talking about all this stuff that they're going to have to do in terms of transitioning us to this new way of doing business, as I refer to it as climbingism, because it's basically transferring wealth from one sector of the economy to another. And as I've said numerous times, and as I'm going to keep predicting that this is unproven, it is not going to work and it's not going to be sustainable. Even though they say it is, it's not going to work. And we are going to suffer as a result of that. Our quality of life is going to come down considerably. And our mode of transportation is, you know, when they convert, if if they ever convert, unless they uh, come to their senses beforehand. You know, when you look at the amount of money and the amount of um, environmental damage that is done to construct EVs, uh, solar panels, etc., even the windmills, it's much more than what we're um, uh, supposedly ruining the earth with other means. But anyway, as part of this conference, uh, they were talking about uh, trying to get these other developing countries off of um, um, the traditional, what? well, they call it fossil fuels. I call it natural resources. But uh, as they were talking about this, they're talking about Indonesia and the fact that they produce so much coal there and how they can keep them from doing that. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has, start, has, has stated that the world will have to shut down all coal-fired stations by 2040 at the latest and had previously urged the world must reach peak coal by 2020. Instead, the world saw an enormous rebound in coal use in 2021 as ongoing pandemic woes coupled with sanction on Russian energy caused energy prices to skyrocket. The uh, Indonesian parliament just drafted a clean energy bill that uh, prominently features the continued use of coal to the dismay and the out and the outrage of environmental experts and climate advocates according to the indonesian mining advocacy network a watchdog agency as much as 50 percent of the country's 575 members of parliament are directly connected to the mining sector the Indonesian workers who rely on coal for their livelihoods are also pushing back against climate efforts and are advocating to keep raising coal output targets while the market is hot. Further complicating the issue, Indonesia Indonesia has a massive surplus of coal on its hands and after it was heavily overinvested in the sector in past decades, convincing them not to make use of this cheap, abundant energy source will be difficult. 
over-invested. How can you be over-invested in something that you're continuing to make money at? If you're making money at it and you uh, invest more in it, you'll make more money. So that just shows you how stupid these green energy people are. So far, the world's richest nations have not made good on their promises to provide climate finance to the world's poorest countries. Global leaders have recognized that this kind of economic cooperation is fundamental to the successful energy transition to climate um, uh, transition and pathways to 1.5 degrees, which is what they think they need to control the energy increase or the uh, temperature increase. They had promised 12 years ago to give $100 billion in climate finance to poor countries by 2020. In other words, we're paying these people not to pollute. So it's costing the, uh, the, the developed countries to pay these people. Why not find the clean sources? As I've said, you look at the amount of pollution in this country today versus 20, 30 years ago, and it is astounding. We are cleaning up the rivers. We're cleaning up the gas emissions. Just let the market forces take place and find maybe hydrogen uh, energy cells are the answer, but it certainly isn't EVs. Well, folks, that does it for us. Stay tuned for Red Eye Radio, top of the hour. I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. News, traffic, and weather. News Radio 700 WLW, Cincinnati. If Trump's indicted today, will a protest follow? I'm Sean McCormick, breaking now. A lot of hearsay going... Starting this month, you can take advantage of great savings throughout the year. Check out the monthly parts and service specials in-store and online. And when you are ready to order, shop online with Parts Connect at RushTruckCenters.com. Expect more from Rush Truck Centers. Looking for a particular part? Then look no further. Rush Truck Centers All Makes Parts catalog features more than 16,000 of the most popular All Makes Parts from the top suppliers in the industry. And with 164 pages, this catalog is filled to the brim with quality brands you know and trust. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.